uh, we finished today. So some of you would be really pleased, I think, you know, finally, something else. But uh, it's been a good journey for me anyway. And uh, <clears throat> the last section has to do, has a lot of names in it and a lot of relationships. And so what I want to do this morning, being the last sermon in a series through a book and also being Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, moms, um, also being Mother's Day, I hope it doesn't do too much violence to apply some of the wisdom and some of the ways that we see God at work in these relationships to, to moms and, uh, and the relationships and the drama that we find in our own homes. So uh, that's where we're going. We are in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through the end of the book. Hear then the word of God. Tychicus will tell you about all of my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received some instructions, and if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill your ministry that you have received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people into your presence to know you and to love you, to lift our hearts in worship, but Father, also that you might speak into our hearts and our lives with power and grace, so that we might be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So the closing of, uh, of the letter reveals a complicated and challenging network of relationships. Right? This is a veritable who's who in the New Testament church and in, in a New Testament mission and church planting. Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Mark and Justice and Epaphras and Luke and Demas and Archippus. This morning, we're not going to go through all of those guys, but I want to zero in on four of them and, uh, and dig into their story a little bit because I think we can glean some insights about the gospel in the midst of our relationships from some of the drama that we find in these relationships because Paul is describing and addressing these people. We get a little window into relationships. And whether you're in first century Palestine or in 21st century America, 
People are people. (laughs) And relationships are very similar. And they are challenging at times. And when we look at these, they're not as simple as they seem on the surface. Little sentences and little things that he says to the church. But behind these names, there's a great deal of real life drama that's going on with these guys. Just like in our homes. Places of drama. Behind the names and behind the doors, there's, there's drama. Because life is lived. Struggles are endured. There's joy. There's pain. Mother's Day has, a, like some of our other holidays, like Valentine's Day, is a little bit of a complicated holiday. Because it evokes a variety of emotions in different people and their circumstances. And whether you've lost a mom or a mom who's lost a child or whose children are at home and things are special and good or relationships are strained and there's been separation. And so all these dynamics, I know enough of you to know that some of that, all of that is represented in our midst. And it can be complicated, our relationships. There are instructions, I think, and encouragements in the midst of this segment of relational Uh, I guess, uh, the relational portion of his letter for, for moms, I think, in our relationships, but really for all of us, because we're all embroiled in them and engaged in them. And as we see God at work, we can take courage, and it can drive us to him. So let's look more closely at a cast of characters here. I'm going to pull four of these guys out. We're going to look at Tychicus, Onesimus, Mark, and Epaphras. Verse 7, Tychicus is going to tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus is the guy who's going to carry the letter, right? He's the one who's got this letter and probably some others and is making the trip from Rome to Asia Minor, right? And it's not a short distance. He's going to probably have to walk across Italy, take a boat across, I think it's the Adriatic on that side, probably walk across Greece take a boat across the Aegean, and when he gets to Asia Minor, he's got about another 100 miles to get to where he's going. So, uh, so this guy is, has been working with Paul. He's the one who's carrying the letter, and not only is he going to deliver the letter, he says he's going to tell you all about our activities. He's going to give you some updates and, and fill you in on stuff that's going on with us. Tychicus is mentioned five times in the New Testament, but he's one of these guys that, that is around throughout Paul's You know, he just doesn't get a lot of press, but he's a guy who's there behind the scenes with Paul a lot. And being mentioned five times in five different books tells you that the guy gets around, right? So not only here in Colossians, but in the book of Acts, Titus, 2 Timothy, Ephesians. Paul describes him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. He is one of Paul's treasured companions. Um, And wouldn't it be marvelous, I mean, just to have someone of the stature of the Apostle Paul saying these kind of things about you? Beloved brother, sister, faithful minister, fellow servant. He's been with Paul for at least four years of his travel. Uh, He's gone with him through then danger and suffering and his ministry, its ups and its downs. He was... 
Um, he was with Paul when he made that trip to Jerusalem where he gets arrested and imprisoned and suffers under trial and then finally makes a trip to Rome and he's still with Paul here in Rome. So he's followed Paul through all of these uh, adventures and, and uh, imprisonments and he's with him now and he's being sent, still serving him, ministering to his needs and serving the, the mission and the purpose of the church, a faithful servant. He's been with Paul through thick and thin, over many years, over travel, over hardship, through suffering and imprisonment, serving. And in all of this, Paul finds him, experiences him in his relationship as beloved and faithful and a servant, a fellow servant with me. Onesimus, we see in verse 9, it says, And with him is going to come Onesimus. He is our faithful and beloved brother also, and he's one of you. And they will tell you everything that has taken place here. And so that just is a little window in what's taking place here about Onesimus, that, that he's coming with Tychicus to you. And there is a, a whole backstory to this and the relationship. He's also called a faithful and beloved brother, but, but his relationship and his relationships in this whole thing are far more complicated and challenging. It's not as simple as Tychicus, right? Onesimus, when he mentions him here and he's sending him back to Asia Minor, to Colossae, it connects us to the book of Philemon, to the whole book. If you're familiar with it, it's the shortest, I think the shortest, uh, one of the shortest books in the New Testament, um, a letter to a guy named Philemon. Philemon is Onesimus's master or owner. And so it connects us, and, and probably that letter Philemon is most likely written at the same time, and it's very likely that Tychicus is carrying both letters, giving one to be read and just sort of indicates that he's going to tell you about this, and the other letter to be delivered directly to Philemon. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it's very likely the way these things are connected. Philemon, who is in the church in Colossae, has come to Christ several years before, he is now a prominent leader in the Colossian church, and it's very likely that the church is even meeting in his home. Um, so, so God has done a work in Philemon's life, and he is in a, in a prominent place in the church. And it's interesting that Onesimus is his bondservant who has run away. If you don't know that story, that we don't know when in, in the timing of these things, but Onesimus has run away from Philemon. And he finds himself in Rome, probably getting lost in the crowds, you know, going somewhere. You want to go to a big city where you can, you know, blend in. But in his journeys and in the providence of God, he runs into Paul. Paul introduces him to Christ. And Onesimus is converted to such, in such a way that Paul calls him a faithful and beloved brother, just like Tychicus. So... Onesimus becomes Paul's spiritual son, and they become very close. And Onesimus becomes part of his ministry and begins to help him. Paul wanted to keep him. You read in the book of Philemon, he tells him, I wanted to keep Philemon, but I know I didn't have your consent, so I'm sending him back to you. So Paul wanted to keep him, but he's wrestling. It's very, wrestling because it's a very complicated situation. Philemon is a, a fugitive, a runaway slave. Paul loves this fugitive, and he's come to Christ. Paul wants to do the right thing. But, but a slave 
and that's a whole other story. The, the place of bond servants in this culture is, is something to be explained at another time. But we'll simply say, though, that the slave is still at the mercy of their master. And that slaves have been crucified for less than running away. You know, so, so Onesimus is being sent back to his master. It's a dangerous thing. If he's not crucified, branded, beaten, he is at the mercy of Philemon. And Paul loves this guy. And he wants to do the right thing legally, so he sends him back. But even as he sends him back, he sends the letter of Philemon to Philemon, pleading with Philemon. He's doing the legal thing, and he's pleading with Philemon to do the Christian thing. And so we read this in Philemon in chapter, well, in Philemon, there's only one chapter. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might receive him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So receive him, your slave, as you would receive me. And you can read that letter in the, I don't know, the... the the relational challenge and conflict that's in there of the, the legalities of the culture and then the gospel breaking into Onesimus' life and bringing him back to where he's run away from and in Philemon's life and him being pleaded with by the Apostle Paul himself to receive him and to welcome him. The beauty of the gospel, the fugitive comes home. Forgiven and accepted and welcomed as a brother. They're neither slave nor free. And then we have Mark in verse 10. It says, Aristarchus is my fellow prisoner and he greets you and Mark. He's the cousin of Barnabas concerning whom you have received instructions. And if he comes to you, welcome him. So why does Mark, they have to get special instructions on Mark. You want to be that guy? <laughs> you know, sending to you Wayne. And I've got special instructions for you about Wayne, you know, so that you'll receive him if he comes. You want to be that guy? Why do they need instructions? And, and they need instructions because the relationship had been broken. There was a lot of hurt and, and mistrust in the relationship. And this is what I mean by the drama that's behind these relationships, even is is, is the, the kingdom is growing, the gospel is going, people are being converted, and, and, and yet there are these real relationships and, and drama that takes place in the midst of them. Because this Mark is none other than John Mark. He's the guy who flaked out on Paul on his first missionary journey. That, that he and Barnabas are heading out on their first missionary journey. They bring Mark along, and, and as, as the going gets tough, Mark flakes out and leaves them abandons them on the journey. So that after the journey, and they come home, and Paul is planning his second journey with Barnabas, and Barnabas says, hey, let's bring Mark. Paul says, I don't think so. You know, you, you, you remember what happened last time, right? So Acts 15, 37 to 39, he says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them, one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work, who flaked out and abandoned us. And so there arose a sharp disagreement. Paul was adamant, no. And Barnabas was adamant, yes. 
So they separated. So there was brokenness. Mark's lack of loyalty and faithfulness had caused a rift not only between him and Paul, but between Paul and Barnabas. And they went their separate ways for a period of time. A sharp disagreement. They needed to part company. How often, how sad is this our experience? But now Mark is with Paul in Rome. He's with Paul. Paul says he sends his greetings. And if he comes, and it may be that he's going to either come on this trip or another trip. And he says, and if he comes, welcome him. Right? So in between those events, somewhere in there, Mark and Paul met up again, and again, in the, the beauty of the way God can redeem and save us from ourselves and from our disagreements and from our past and our hurt and whatever distrust and whatever hurt there has been, somewhere in there, Mark and Paul and Barnabas reconcile by God's grace and for his glory, and he is a welcome partner now in the ministry. Finally, there's Epaphras in verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of you, he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all of the will of God. I love this guy. All right, he's struggling on your behalf in his prayers. He's struggling for you in his prayers. You ever think of prayer that way? You ever pray for people that way? I mean, that's one of the things that challenges me. I mean, he sees when you pray for people, you, you struggle for them. And he's praying specific things. He wants them to be mature, spiritually mature and assured. Mature and assured in the, all of the will of God. That they, would, that they would grow and become obedient, faithful, mature people. And so he is wrestling with them. See, now, interesting that Epaphras, we think he is probably the pastor of the church and the founder of the church in Colossae. We saw back in chapter 1, you probably don't remember because I didn't, uh, verses 6 and 7, maybe you did, and you're sharper than me, but it says, since the day that you heard about it, that is the gospel, and understood it in all the grace of God in its truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, right? So they learned the gospel, they heard the gospel from Epaphras, and Epaphras is probably their pastor, but it's, it's not uncommon for Titus or Timothy or an Epaphras uh, to come to Paul with news, to get instructions, you know, the pastors that have been appointed the, in each church. And so Epaphras may be, he's visiting with Paul, and it says he's one of you, but he is struggling with prayer in his absence from you. He is struggling in prayer for you. He loves them. They're his spiritual children. The word struggling here in prayer, the word struggling in the Greek is agonizo. And it's a noun, it's agonia. And you can recognize the English word we get from it, right? The agony of it. So he is agonizing, quite literally in the, in the, in the Greek, he is agonizing in prayer over you that you would be mature and that you would stand firm and assured in all the will of God. But he is agonizing, struggle, laboring that this would take place. There is this very real sense that, that prayer has real spiritual effect in the lives of people. That it's a form of, 
of warfare, of wrestling, which is what this word is. It's a term of conflict, this agonizo, term of conflict. It's used to describe an, an athlete's intense exertion when he is, you know, running or wrestling or whatever it is, his, his agonizo, right? And so he agonizes for them in prayer. It's a form of spiritual conflict and a real and significant spiritual power. We see it in Jesus in the garden. It's interesting in Luke twenty-two forty-four. It says Jesus being in agony, and it's the same word there, only in the noun. Being in agonia, uh, he prayed all the more earnestly. And so we see the the agonizing starts in his spirit, and it becomes he's in agony. In other words, he is he's worked up in himself, and it becomes his praying. Right? He is in agony, and so he. He agonizes in prayer. He prays earnestly. That's the way a lot of prayers should be. They should arise from the desires, the passions of our soul that we're so concerned about other people, so concerned about the ministry, so concerned that the inside, you know, there are these, these emotions of passion and love and desire for God to do something and to work and being in agony that we would pray all the more earnestly for God to work in the lives of his people. When our concern is so strong for someone, we end up in intense praying, crying out, pleading. Epaphras loved the church. He longed for their growth. He feared for their safety in his absence. And so he labored in prayer for their safety and growth. There's a lot of drama in these relationships. Drama is not necessarily a bad thing. It means... You know, that drama simply that there are complexities and intensities in our relationships, especially in our homes, right? There are no closer relationships than you have than the people that live in your house, right? And so there is drama. It's not a bad thing. That It's something that we all as human beings wrestle through. And I think that every mother, if you were listening carefully in the stuff that's going on in these relationships, can find yourself in there somewhere, perhaps with your children. In some way, because we all have a variety of experiences. You may not find yourself in all of them, but in some of them. Why? Because our homes are places of drama, where lives are lived, struggles are endured, there's joy and there's pain, but there is hope. And it's encouraging to see God at work in all of these dramas, where there was brokenness and healing, where there was, you know, running away and and separation and and then restoration, and where there was, you know, brokenness that God goes ahead and converts and brings people home with Onesimus and Philemon. Onesimus running away, causing problems for Philemon, and in the end causing problems for Paul. How many mothers have endured the pain of running children? Running from home, running from responsibility, running from the Lord. They're runners. At different times in life, as often or not, they they can be runners. You know, and it's hard for us. But one of the things that I find really encouraging in this whole story, and where we can take encouragement, is from Paul's gospel statement of of gospel sovereignty in the letter to Philemon. When he, do you remember I read this sentence in the little quote I did? It said, this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Right? He sees the sovereignty of God in his running. 
And he said it may have been God's plan and part of his plan for Onesimus and for you. It was the way God was going to do it. And for a time, he was a runner. He was a fugitive. But you can't outrun God. Right? And your children can't outrun God either. God is sovereign. And so he knows where they are, spiritually and physically and every other way. And the Lord is a Lord who is able to find them where they are. Like Jonah, you can't outrun him. He will find them. He is gracious and he is sovereign. Maybe you're here today and you came with your mom. And you're the child who's running. And you know it. And she knows it, maybe. I would encourage you on this Mother's Day, maybe it's time to come home. And the Lord does that. He says, there's a time. And you're running from him and he knows it and you know it. Maybe today is the day you stop running. Today is the day you turn back. Turn back to him. Turn back to home. Put your trust in Christ. Maybe your story is more like John Mark's. Maybe there's been a sharp disagreement that caused separation. I've seen it in my family in different places and my extended family. It happens, I think, in many, many families where there are disagreement. It caused separation for a time. But there's nothing more beautiful than reconciliation. Right? The gospel is all about the fact that there is brokenness in us and around us. And it shows itself in our families and in our relationships. But the gospel is about reconciliation. God is a, is a reconciling God. He has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And so, and so there is this great hope that where there has been brokenness, there can be healing. Mark is with Paul in Rome. The relationship has been restored, and he says, if he comes, welcome him. Maybe you're like Paul, and you've been hurt, and your trust has been broken. There's power in the gospel to melt the hardest hearts. If your heart has been hardened, or if your children or someone you know, your heart has been hardened, God is the melter of hearts. I would encourage you to open yourself up to what God may do and what beautiful gospel reconciling work that he may want to do in your relationships. And this is where Epaphras comes in, doesn't he? So relevant and applicable, wrestling in, children, in prayer for his spiritual children. What a beautiful picture, right? The power of Epaphras on his knees, pleading for his children. I have to believe that some of the most real, some of the most passionate and agonizing prayers that have ever, ever been uttered have, have come from the hearts of moms praying for their children, right? Because our hearts go out. We fear for their safety, right? We long to be with them. We, we long for them to grow. We long for them in so many ways. We desire so much for them. And that that passion, that desire turns itself into prayer. Wrestling for our children that they might stand mature, spiritually and assured in all the will of God, obedient in Him. We all long to see our children in that place. Mom, keep praying for your children. God hears your prayers. He's faithful and He's sovereign. He's able to heal and He's able to find the fugitive. 
And he's able to do all those things that we long to see. We must seek them from him. Now let me close simply then by touching on Tychicus, because I believe that every mother has earned the same commendation that Tychicus gets. Beloved and faithful, servant of the Lord. Right? Beloved and faithful moms. They go through thick and thin, just like Tychicus with Paul and whatever journey he went on, moms do that with their kids and whatever journey they go on. Right? Through thick and thin over many years, you travel together. And moms are, are there. And kids, if you haven't seen it or tasted it yet, and that's what I say, and if they don't recognize it now, we pray they will later. Beloved and faithful mom, who is always there, is still always there, praying for you, loving you, supporting you, ministering to you, traveling over many miles to be with you. Charles Spurgeon said that I am sure that in my early youth no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. Your labor is not in vain. And our hope and prayer is that one day our children will see that and feel that and know that to be true. That the ways you have loved them and were faithful in raising them to know and love the Lord, that we will see the fruit of it. And even if you don't see it now, in time, be patient and wait upon the Lord. Mom, it's not just about you and your children, and we've talked about this in every relationship in the last many number of weeks, and we tried to show whether it was in parents and children or husbands and wives or employees and employers. It's not just about the two of you. It's not about, just about moms and their kids. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, beloved and faithful. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is uh, so full of the truth. We thank you for its honesty and its earthiness that you don't hide the conflicts from us, but we see how your people struggle, what the human condition is in our fallenness and brokenness. But also, Father, thank you for the beauty and the power of your gospel, that we see it in action, reconciling, healing, forgiving, restoring, driving us to our knees. Father, I pray that you would Bring us to our knees. You would teach us to wrestle faithfully in prayer, to agonize for those we love, that they would be mature and assured in all the will of God. Father, for every mother that is here today, pray you would come near and encourage them in the task that you have given them, that they would find strength and hope and encouragement in the knowledge that you are sovereign and good and that you are at work and that you can do all things, and that they would renew their faith and their trust in you, and that they would renew their prayers for their children. We ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.